0: Cross the Netflix stream. I'm Ward. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Twitter, and Facebook. Cross the Netflix stream. Contact us. Let us know what you think, what you've seen, and what we should see. Go to our website to find all of our older episodes, written reviews, and Netflix news. Crossthenetflixstream.com You are here because you want to know what I watched this week, and it is as follows. Jackie Brown. Ghosts of Mars. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and The Public. Jackie Brown is a Quentin Tarantino movie. After watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know I wanted to go back and catch some of the Tarantino movies I haven't seen in a while. Catch one I haven't seen, which is Death Proof, which Death Proof is not available streaming, so I've not watched that. But I'm going to be watching. Hopefully i will get to streaming at some point. But Jackie Brown is on Netflix right now, so I checked it out. I've seen it before. Airline daughter, Jackie, finds herself in the middle of a huge conflict between her boss, an arms dealer, and an ATF agent that will either make her a profit or cost her her life. This is just a really good slow-burn heist movie, and it's overshadowed by Tarantino's other movies because his movies generally are really good. The actors, the performances of this, are very engrossing, very good. The plot has some nice twists. And, you know, Tarantino still toys the timeline and Samuel L. Jackson's ending. You know, his usual kind of tropes of his movies, which isn't a bad thing. Pam Grier, though, delivers a must-see performance. I mean, all the casting, all the acting is great, but Pam Grier, she's just cool. She does a great job. This doesn't topple any of my favorite Tarantino movies. hate Fleet's still my favorite, but it's just easy to dismiss this and with all of his other really good movies. And this is silent. I mean, definitely a great movie, not Tarantino's best, but he's done so many good movies that, you know, it's not that this one's bad. It's just, it's overshadowed. Pam Greer plays Jackie Brown. She just does a phenomenal job. And the thing I like about this movie is it's a little bit slower than some of Tarantino's other movies. It gives the actors a chance to really act to convey emotion at the time to do that. It's not go, go, go all the time. Greer is just at the top of her game. She is very, very cool in this. And even movies today don't always put a woman in such a cool role, in such a role that has a lot of power like this. She is the smartest, the coolest character in this movie. It is. It's a slow burn. You've got her pitting everybody against each other. R.M. Ordell, Roby, played by Samuel Jackson. He is absolutely magnetic in the role. Just does a great job. You've got Robert Forstner as Max Cherry, a bell bondsman, who's completely enamored with Jackie Brown. You've got Robert De Niro who's playing a bit part. And yeah, you know, I applaud him that he plays a bit part when he's generally a headliner. He does a great job in that role. We've got Michael Keaton as an ATF agent. And Jackie Brown, she works for Dell Robbie and Ordell Roby. She is smuggling money across international lines. She gets caught up in it. And so she's telling Ordell that hey, I'm gonna get you your money, don't worry. She's telling the ATF, I'm gonna get you Ordell, don't worry. And despite this movie, have a lot of talking. The atmosphere, the dialogue, it maintains momentum with this movie. It never feels slow. Characters are just a lot of fun to watch. Everything about it is just really cool. Robert Forster playing Max Cherry, he's really the closest to an audience surrogate. Dedicated his job, enamored with Jackie. And you get it. Like It's hard not to be enamored with her because she's just so cool. This isn't as stylish as Pulp Fiction in some of the movies. You know, it's easy just to kind of dismiss it and say, oh yeah, that's not Tantino's best. Man, it's a good movie. The editing of The Big Showdown definitely feels like Tarantino, where he kind of plays the timeline. We see everything unfold from different perspectives. And this ends with Jackie absolutely winning, and she asks Max to run away with her. She slips out when he takes a phone call, and he just you can see it in his face. He puts the phone down, and he wonders, did he make the right choice? Should he have run away with her? Part of his thoughts have to be the realization that he was just kind of swept up In her ordeal and with her, she was able to get him to do exactly what she wanted. She managed to get everybody to do exactly what she wanted. And it's this moment that lets Forstner act. And you just see on his face, you know, did she get me? Did she manipulate me? And a lot of Tarantino's later works never slow down like this to give the actors a chance like that. Jackie Brown is a must-see. And I mean, sadly, just not one of Tarantino's best, which is a testament to him and how good his movies are. So I was looking at Pam Green to see what movie she was in, and I saw she did a 2001 movie, Ghost of Mars, John Carpenter movie. John Carpenter, he's done my favorite movie of his, Big Trouble in Little China. He's done The Thing. Um, what was it? They Live with, uh, with some wrestler. I don't know. Who was that? It was Ronnie Piper. Uh, you know, he's done Halloween. He's done a lot of good stuff. And so in Ghosts of Mars, it's 2176. There's a Martian police unit. They're sent to pick up a dangerous criminal on a remote mining post on Mars. They arrive, and they see that the outpost, there's nobody there, and they soon discover that everybody is possessed by these deathly spirits or ghosts. It's basically a defense force or a defense mechanism. Uh, Ice Cube plays the criminal this movie, I mean, Carpenter has done some really great movies, and this just isn't one of them. It feels straight from the 80s, and it came out in 2001. It's not a parody, which it it almost could be. Some of those movies, like Big Trouble in Little China almost feels like a parody, but it's funny, it's smart. I did not get that from Ghosts of Mars. It's a, it definitely feels like a budget movie. It feels a little bit like a throwback, but it, everything, it just seems out of place. The idea isn't bad. I like this idea that Some alien species set a trap for anyone that would infiltrate their planet, this being Mars, that if you kind of unlock this gate, it sends out this mist that possesses people and they harm themselves they harm others, killing themselves, killing others. Like that's a cool idea. That idea is not done justice at all in this movie. And we kind of see the spirit, the mist, and that seems very much like an effect from the 80s. It just, it does not fit at all. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I'll have to wonder, did Carpenter have this idea in the 80s? Couldn't get it made in the 80s because no one was willing to bankroll it because I thought, well, it just it doesn't work. We can't do this. And he finally had enough status or saved up his own money to make this in 2001, exactly as he saw in the 80s. Because that's what it feels like. This is a movie from the 80s that seems like it was rejected and somehow escaped 20 years later. Carpenter did Escape from New York, man. Gosh, this movie. I don't know. And it opens with the how we got here trope. We've got Lieutenant, who knows, I don't know. It's Natasha Hendricks plays the character. She's on trial after the events in this movie on this colony. And throughout the movie, it cuts back to her trial, and it serves no purpose. All it does is slow down the pacing. Terrible choice. And I watched this after Jackie Brown, directly after. And it's just a testament to how good directing can really elevate a movie and how bad directing can really harm a movie. I watched this because of Pam Greer and John Carpenter, and that was a mistake on both fronts. And it, to be a Mars movie, there ain't a lot of world bidding. You look at Alien and Aliens, it kind of built that world. It felt like this neat world. This movie never, it just always felt like it was on a set, that we're on a Martian set. And it, it just, the production value was not there. This is an 80s B movie. It just astounds me. How this feels completely out of place and out of time. It's not a smart movie nodding at 80s movie tropes. It's earnest, which makes this all the more strange. If it was released in the mid-80s, I'm like, yeah, I get this movie. I get where it's coming from. But it wasn't released then, and that's what's so crazy. Now, these, this defense force, these Martians, are not really, ghosts per se, that they mutilate themselves and others, that is gross for the sake of being gross. One odd part: an inhabitant who's in a jail cell files down his teeth without a file and with no means to do that in a very short amount of time. It makes no sense. It's there to kind of to be "quote unquote" cool. It's not. The movie just doesn't seem well thought out. A lot of fighting, completely mindless, ultimately boring. Jason Statham is in this, and this is before Jason Statham was Jason Statham, so he's not like the cool, suave guy he usually plays because he kind of plays the same character every movie. And this movie could actually be a good Jason Statham vehicle if it used, like, the Jason Statham we know today. He was not that Jason Statham back then. He's a generic male chauvinist, and I'm sure he probably wishes this movie was not on his record. I've not seen all of Carpenter's movies, but this is the worst Carpenter movie I've seen. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Man, so a lot of people say this is the best Harry Potter movie can't disagree with that. I like the first four after that, the, from the fifth on. They just got too bloated, too too much spectacle. You know, the books got ever larger. The movies, they kind of ma- maxed out two and a half hours, and they just couldn't encapsulate everything. So the first four, the best. You can really just stop right there. When I first watched the first four, I thought, oh, man, Goblet of Fire, that's the best. Watching these again after a number of years. I guess, what, 10 years, 15 years? I really like Prisoner of Azkaban. You've got Harry in his third year. The murder of Sirius Black has escaped. Azkaban, the wizard's prison. He's coming for Harry. And man, this movie, what I love about this movie is the story. It's a very well-plotted story. It's got this nice plot. We're watching these kids grow up. And man, just the tone, the execution. It avoids all the upcoming bloat we're going to see in future movies. It's just, it's great. I love Harry Potter anyway. It's this... Just this perfect wish-fulfillment type movie. A neglected kid turns out to have great power. And that makes the first movie, The Sorcerer's Stone, a lot of fun. It's derivative, sure. I don't care, man. You, know, It just reaches a point where it kind of it encapsulates all these tropes and it makes it work. Now, while it helps to know the first movie, you can enjoy this. I haven't seen any of the other Harry Potter movies. It felt pretty self-enclosed to me. You know, It gives you a little bit of backstory, but you don't have to have it. You Harry's back at Hogwarts because each movie starts with him going to Hogwarts, the Wizarding School, and no one wants to tell him that Sirius Black has escaped, and Sirius Black wants to kill him. Sirius Black is believed to be an underling of the evil wizard Voldemort, who is always kind of the main villain every movie, generally unseen until the fourth movie. Azkaban is just a terrible place, devoid of hope and joy. It's guarded by Dementors, who are these magical prison guards who just suck the joy and life out of everything. They love Harry because Harry has a lot of trauma in his past and they're drawn to that. And so despite the Dementors being on Hogwarts campus to guard against Sirius Black and recapture him, no one can stop them from bothering Harry and just kind of making his life a little difficult. I love this story. It's just, it's an intricate plot and everything in this story works together perfectly at the end. And yet everything had a place, everything fit together really well. And I love when a story can do that, because it's kind of an intricate plot. You've got these nice reveals that if you've seen this once or you you've really paid attention, you're like, oh man, all these little things fit together, all the dots connected. Hermione has a way of popping up in every scene. Ron is having quite the time with his pet rat, and those are important details later in the movies. These points are easy to miss, but they are very significant. Hermione has a trick to attend multiple classes throughout the school year And that is crucial to the main plot of how Harry manages to save himself. There's a lot of what we see isn't the full story. And man, it it comes together perfectly. These movies always have a lot of fun with how magic could be used. And each year, Harry's amazed. Oh, wow, this Wizarding World is bigger than I thought. It's always growing, ever larger. And there's a map of mischief that really helps the plot kick into gear. But I have to wonder... How did the Weasel Twins figure out how to unlock and lock the map? They picked up the map. It's like they had instructions. They figured it out. I mean, yeah, it kind of further the plot, and they kind of need to know that. But that's a little hole that isn't quite connected. That's okay, but it's worth pointing out. Now, the, I believe the book reveals this. This movie does not. The map, its creators are Mooney, Padfoot, Prongs, and Wormtail. Movie doesn't reveal this, but Mooney is Professor Lupin, who is the dark arts teacher. Padfoot is Sirius Black, who is in this movie. Prongs is James Potter, Harry's dad. And Wormtail is Peter Pettigrew, who is also in this movie. This movie is definitely darker. Uh, I mean, just with what these movies have become, with the threat of Voldemort looming ever closer, they kind of had to get darker. The fourth one, maybe not necessarily darker in atmosphere, but with some of the events that happened definitely darker i mean the fact is in this movie an escape prisoner wants to kill harry that's pretty dark in of itself alfonso Serrano was a director he went on to do great things he gets plenty of credit as he should but really the script and story are very good in this movie and i don't dig too deep in the overarching narrative as it is quite remarkable that every notable event or terrible event at hogwarts involves harry potter i mean Maybe that's just is that maybe that's just his destiny, but it's also just how the story has to work. I like the first four movies the best. I like God of Fire a lot. I like this a lot. This would get the edge, but after the first four movies, you know, the films just couldn't keep up with the books. The books were too big. The movies couldn't encapsulate everything. It just got too large, and the movies also became more focused on spectacle. But Prisoner Band. A lot of fun. Even if you don't care about the Harry Potter movies, Harry Potter's a cultural phenomenon. And if you enjoy movies and good stories, well, you know what? Check this out, man. You can't go wrong with this. The Public. An act of civil disobedience turns into a standoff with the police when homeless people in Cincinnati take over the public library to seek shelter from the bitter cold. This is a 2018 movie. Written, directed, and starring Emilio Estevez, and he's looking a lot like Martin Sheen in this movie, because he is Martin Sheen's son. Really like this movie. The writing has some nice moments. Does get a bit too cute at times, but it is designed to make you ask questions. What do we do with the homeless? How can they be accommodated? Do we have an obligation when refusing them could result in their death? This movie does not wrap everything up at the end. It never intended to do that. But it raises a few different points about you know, our moral obligation, about journalism, the government. There are no easy answers here. But it pushed me to consider my perspective. And you may think, well, what is the answer? What is the solution? That's a hard question. There's really just not a good solution there. The movie takes place in Cincinnati at the library. You've got Emilio Estovitz as a librarian. And the library is a refuge for the homeless. Stuart knows this. He doesn't actually embrace it or encourage it. But he does it it. He knows these guys are just doing the best they can. The opening scene feels uh, kind of fun, despite the subject. Uh, you know, it feels a bit out of tone, but like I get it. The homeless guys are joking; they're having fun. They're shaving in the bathroom. It's it's kind of setting up what's to come, and it's also a bit of fun before the plot gets heavy. So I don't fault it. Like I get what the movie's trying to do there. storage presented as being in trouble with the board. You know, it's, the movie's kind of setting him up as someone that. Is on the outs with management, so that, you know, when this movie kicks into gear, well, he's the fall guy. It felt like a bit much, but it plays into the plot, so I'll give him that. The movie does have some really nice moments. I like the directing. I thought Estevez did a great job on this. I mean, it's a good script. I can't fault him for that. There are cutaways to library patrons asking really inane questions. I like Stuart and Angel's encounter at Stuart's apartment, and... I liked it until the movie pushed it into this romantic direction that felt unnecessary. I mean, that too, Emilio Estevez is, I don't know, in his 50s, Taylor Schilling's in her 20s. So there's a bit of a mismatch there. It just felt odd. It kind of made me think Emilio had to rewrite that real Cause like, oh, she, she's the part. Let me rewrite this. I think this needs to go in a romantic way. It just, I don't know, this is a serious subject and a couple times the writing just felt like it was trying too hard to be clever. Now, a lot of times, it it kind of, Shoots for the tone, gets the tone. But there's a couple of times thought, like, you know, this is a bit much. And so the big crux of this movie is that the homeless, they are facing dying from exposure due to an extreme cold front. They're not going to leave the library. They're going to live. You know, it's an interesting point. One of the homeless men makes, uh, he makes a point that people profess morals that require them to care for the poor and the weak. And I couldn't help but think and kind of expand on his point there's the nostalgia of neighborhoods that used to be community centers where everyone knew each other and everyone was a great big family. Now the world and the people in it feel, feel more secluded. Uh, they seclude themselves in their homes. They don't go out. They don't know their neighbors. People used to care for each other. Now as the towns become sprawling cities, you no longer know everyone in your community. When you don't know someone, it becomes easier to ignore them. And that especially factors in with the homeless. In general, people just don't care about the homeless, so what do you do? Now that the movie didn't go that far into it, but I kind of thought about that as I'm watching this, as just making some points. And it's something to think about. You've got Christian Slater in this, he plays this conniving district attorney who starts lying to the press to further his point and further his progress. You you've got the journalist who is lying because oh, if it's a negative story and she kinda Makes it more, you know, more exciting. That gets her more views, more social media likes. And that's a little shallow. I get the points trying to make. The movie can only do so much. The administration they begin to look like the big guy. They look begin to look like the bad guys because they are more concerned with removal of the homeless. They don't care what happens after, and that's a bit of a sticking point. So on one hand, with this movie, I wanted an epilogue. I wanted it to kind of wrap it up and say, "Oh, this happened. This changed." But the movie is not about wrapping this up in a nice, feel-good story. It's designed to probe the issue and kind of look at it a couple of different ways. Make you, the viewer, question the world you live in and the motives of the people in charge. We have to rethink how we treat other classes of people, classes that are often ignored. I mean, I like this movie made me think. Uh, you know, based on what happens in this movie, it seems the solutions are local. The biggest hurdle is changing somebody's perspective, and that's not often Easy. that's a public, man. I definitely recommend it. Very cool movie. that is what I watched this week. I did see that The Walking Dead Season 9 is on Netflix. I'm not professing The Walking Dead is a good show. I'll watch it. Why? Because there's not many other zombie shows on Netflix. But I will say this is kind of just where I'm at in this show. I don't know when it stopped being good. I know in Season 4, I quote and I said, this show is too dumb for me to watch. Uh later came back to it, finished the season. It's kind of a guilty pleasure. I know it's not good, but it's season eight. There's not a review of season eight on my website. Why? Because I started watching the season and I realized halfway in I haven't really been paying attention to this. It's one of those things where you're watching the show, then you get a oh, who is that actor? What has he done? Let me get to IMDB and check that out. You fall, fall, you fall down a rabbit hole. You don't come back to really paying attention to the show because the show's just not that interesting. And then you realize, oh man, I've watched three quarters of this show and I haven't really paid attention not enough to write a good review. And that's where I'm at on this show. I'm going to watch season nine. Why? Because I don't know. I like zombies and sometimes there's neat parts. I'm probably going to miss a few parts because I won't be paying close attention because the show just doesn't want me to pay close attention. I mean, have you seen the show recently? It is what it is. That's it. Next week, hopefully I will have watched something else. Maybe I will have paid attention to The Walking Dead. We'll see. Go to our website, netflixstream.com. This is your portal to find us on social media, our written reviews, news. You can email me directly, ward at Netflixstream.com. Go to iTunes or your preferred podcast player. Rate this, review it. I would appreciate it. I watch movies on Netflix, so you don't have to.